Okay, today we're going to be concentrating on what we'll call the prophetic experience. We're going to start with something we learned already, but I want to read it. The English translation from Rabbi Ari Kaplan from the Ramchal. Because this will be a lead into the entire class. If you remember, uh, perhaps one of the most important things we've learned about prophecy was the Ramchal's definition of prophecy meaning clinging to God if you can just put it in a few words that prophecy and prophetic experience comes from clinging to God being close to God unifying with God and lifting one up self spiritually and becoming a, a proper vessel for what we're used to calling spiritual experience but if you just like bump it up one it becomes prophetic experience and so based on that he said the following those who train themselves for prophecy must do so through a number of specific disciplines if you remember we learned that, that there were schools of prophecy that established prophets would take younger prophets called the B'nai Nevi'im the children of the prophets under their wing and they were there was like a syllabus there was a curriculum of how one becomes a fitting vessel for prophetic experience the purpose of these is to bring the highest influence to bear on them and nullify the effects of their physical nature holding it back with this remember we learned that that was the first thing that God says to Moshe at the burning bush is take off your shoes because the place you're standing is holy and we learned that the commentaries say take off your shoes is symbolic like an, a, a Tishabav or Yom Kippur we don't wear leather shoes it, be, it becomes a symbol of physical comfort and so God was saying you need to divest yourself from your physical being in order to experience what you can experience now in this manner they attach themselves to God and bring upon themselves a revelation of his light okay now here's the, the paragraph that I want to get to because this will kind of launch what we want to learn today these disciplines we're learning about the, the different things that the, the prophets would learn in order to make themselves fitting for prophecy these disciplines can include various meditations pronouncing certain holy names and praising God with prayers intermingled with his names combined in a specific manner as discussed earlier this little paragraph is what we will be spending the class on in other words he tells us just a few very general categories of types of activities that lead to prophetic experience 
and they're very general. He doesn't really explain them. But thousands of years of Jewish practice does explain them. So he mentions meditations, holy names of God, prayers, and combinations of all the above. Yeah. So in the art school, um, you often see um, only scan the letters of this name with your eyes. Do not say it out loud. Do not read it. Do not. Is it because it's dangerous for regular Benoni to um, mess around with those disciplines? Uh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. As, as, actually, it's. Coming up. Coming next. Meditations. Now, if you remember when we discussed, for those who are here, when we discussed uh, the mystical power of music, meditation has many, many different expressions. And we discussed many of them. Meditation through music, meditation on the Ein Sof, on nothingness, Meditations on certain words or verses, uh, meditations in nature, all kinds of manifestations of meditations. So, to answer your question, Rabbi Arya Kaplan says that if you take the, the entire body of Kabbalah, you can divide it into three basic categories there's what's called theoretic Kabbalah meditative Kabbalah and what's called Kabbalah Ma'asit which sometimes is uh, translated in English as the magical side of Kabbalah most texts fall into what we call theoretic Kabbalah. Theoretic meaning discussions of the nature of the world, the nature of God, the nature of the soul, the nature of the psyche, the nature of reality. And this covers the vast majority of Kabbalistic works. The meditative and I'll mention that Rabbi Arya Kaplan has a very unique and profound take on this. He also says that the meditative texts are uh, a very, very small section of Kabbalah and most of them have never been printed. They're in manuscript form only. And the reason is, is because the, these meditative texts can be and were used to achieve prophetic experience. And therefore, even the Kabbalists who opened up the Zohar and the Sefer Yitzirah and the Bahir and the Kitve Arizal they wanted to keep these texts hidden uh, 
to answer your question is that if not properly understood uh, they were they were considered dangerous and then you have what's called Kabbalah Ma'asit where the teachings of Kabbalah are used in order to change and manipulate nature and can be used to uh, change reality and do miracles and these are also looked down upon as far as revealing them and for the vast majority of people to even dabble in them now the unique take that Rabbi Arya Kaplan has and, and, and I'm going to give you a couple of examples here the, the two examples that he brings where he takes two uh, books that are usually thought of as, as theoretic and he says he feels that they're prophetic and the one is Sefer Yitzirah Sefer Yitzirah is according to many people the oldest Kabbalistic text that we have not necessarily in the the version that we have now according to many people it was edited by Rabbi Akiva but it existed for far longer than that according to tradition goes back to Avram Avinu and he points out that there's two ways to actually read it in Hebrew and English there's a way to read the verbs in the third person in other words when there's a verb he did this he did that he did this he did that or to read them in the command form and he says he believes that they should be be read in the command form meaning he sees Sefer Yitzhira as a manual for meditation it's a very different way that most people read it yeah, I'm going to give a number of examples right now. But I'm going to give the, the most important one. The most important one is, I'll read it in Hebrew and English. Now this is the eighth Mishnah of the first parak, and it's already introduced the tenth Sfirot. And then it says like this, Esther Sfirot Belima, ten Sfirot of nothingness. Belom Picha Miladaber, Close your mouth from speaking. And your heart from thinking. And if your mouth runs, excuse me, and if your mouth runs to speak, and your heart to think, shuv the makom. Return to your place. Shalakach Nemar, because it says in Ezekiel, which by the way is the other one, the vision of Ezekiel, he also reads in a very unique way as a, as a manual for prophetic experience. 
what's called the vision of the chariot he reads it the, the first introduction as how to get into the headspace in order to see this vision which is a very unique way of reading it mm-hmm. having read what uh, Arya Kaplan says and then you read it and it makes perfect sense so here he quotes he says if your mouth runs to talk and your heart to think return to your face now this is he, he, what he explains this is a manual for meditation in other words if you're meditating and your thoughts start to wander your, he calls it your heart starts to think your mouth wants to speak return to your place in other words center yourself center yourself as it says in Ezekiel the hachayot ratzov the what are called the living angels ran and returned the al-dabarzeh nichrat brit and in this matter a covenant was established so he reads this as a manual of how not if you're in the middle of meditation and your mind starts to wander you have to call yourself back to the meditation and not go with it you have to stay centered so now in another one in the fourth Mishnah also Esther Svirot Belima ten Svirot of nothingness Esther below Tesha Esther below Achadasa ten and not nine ten and not eleven now listen to this carefully Haven Bechachma Bechacham Bebina be understanding in wisdom and be wise in understanding see how he switches them he switches them back and forth and he says examine with them and probe from them and stand the master on his base Vashev Yoser al-Mechonah Excuse me, I'm going to go back Yomed Dvara Borov To stand the matter on its essence Vaheshev And make the Creator sit On his base or throne Again, this idea of, of sitting and meditating. But here you see he introduces a number of words that are used throughout the Sefer Yitzhira, which are Bechon Behem, examine with them, Bechakor with them, and probe with them. And later it adds the following, the last chapter, the very last chapter, which is uh, like the synopsis. The first part says, Kishaba Avram Avinu, when Avram Avinu came, he beat, 
he looked the ra'ah he saw the hevin he understood the chakar and he probed now again the way he reads it is not he, he translates it like everyone else translates it but he would read it look see understand probe next one is the chakak engrave the chatsav carve then it says the altabiado habria and he was successful in being able to create as it says the etanefesh asher asubakran like it says in the Torah and the soul that he made in Haran so there's a lot of this what does it mean the soul that he made in Haran the commentary Rashi says these are the people that he drew close to the teachings of one God so it says if he made them but interesting enough in the Gemara in a number of places the, a number of the sages mentioned that they could create what we call a golem with the Sefer Yitzirah the Sefer Yitzirah is mentioned in the Gemara that they could create one place it says a calf another place trees from the wisdom of the Sefer Yitzirah so here it's actually taking it in the literal sense the nefesh that he made it's like a Jewish poem yes yes mm-hmm. okay so the reason that I, I felt very it was very important to read these is that the rest of Sefer Yitzirah it's really about the ten svirot and the twenty-two letters and then it explains how the 22 letters are connected to the seasons to the tribes to the constellations to parts of the body but everything is seen through the filter of the Hebrew letters and the Tensirah now I didn't mention that the very first thing that the Sefer Yitzirah says the opening is the Shloshim Vishtayim Nativot Pliot Chachma, with 32 pathways of, of wondrous wisdom. God engraved and created the universe. So, what are these 32 pathways of wisdom? They are the 22 Hebrew letters and the 10 Sirot. And that's what the whole rest of the, the, the book is about. The ten sirot and the twenty-two letters. And so therefore, I think we mentioned this, where it, it says in the Gemara that Betzalel knew how to put together the tabernacle because he knew how to combine the Hebrew letters in the way that God combined them to create the world because the Mishkan is considered a microcosm 
of the entire creation. So these words that we read of, of probed, engraved, and carved are extremely important because when the Ramchal says how, how does one achieve prophetic experience he mentions really just three or four things meditation prayer na- names of gods and, and combinations so what it turns out is that the wisdom as is talked about in the Sefer Yitzhah and as Rabbi Arya Kaplan says it was a manual for how to meditate by using the spherot and the letters and different combinations in order to achieve prophetic experience and in this sense this whole area is what makes Jewish meditation this is the unique area of Jewish meditation there are types of Jewish meditation that are similar to other types but this whole area is a completely unique Jewish experience where it's using Hebrew letters names of God verses gematria in order to what we will call achieve a stream of consciousness which I'm going to explain now so we're going to jump a thousand years after Rebbe Akiva compiled and edited the Sefer Yitzhak next week we will return to the vision of Ezekiel which the Sefer Yitzhak is, is quoting here it's quoting because the, the vision of Ezekiel we should know that right now we call the Jewish mystical body of knowledge Kabbalah but it was not always called Kabbalah until maybe a thousand years ago it was referred to by other things yeah so the the, 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 the term that was used maybe for the longest time was called Maasei Merkava it's called the working of the chariot this is the chariot of Ezekiel's vision but it became a a, a general term for all uh, mystical Jewish knowledge it's called the Maasei Merkava and we'll look into it a little bit but also we see it's combinations of wheels and faces and sides and, and according to Kabbalah worlds and, and types of angels and names of God and all these different things but again you don't necessarily see it on the surface so what we just quoted from the Sefer Yitzhak was very connected to this whole body of knowledge and like we said that's what they say about the Salo how was he able to put the Mishkan together because he knew how to combine the Hebrew letters so, yeah 
Could you say something about the difference between um, the imperative to return to your center if your heart is thinking and the stream of consciousness that can be attained? Ah, okay. That's a, that's a very good question because it's almost paradoxical. Mm-hmm. It, here it says, if your heart starts to think, mm-hmm. return to your center. And yet, I mentioned, as we'll see in a second, one of the ways of achieving prophetic experience is through a channeled stream of con- mm-hmm. uh, uh, consciousness. So I would say that just the answer is they're, they're talking about two different things. In the same way, Yitzhira says your heart starts to harher, it means you've lost the stream of consciousness. Right, okay. You start thinking about other things. You lose the, the thread. So maybe you lose the thread. Maybe it's super consciousness. Yeah, yeah, it, it is because yeah. you're 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 controlling it up to a point, mm-hmm. and then at a certain point, as we learn from the Ramchal a different energy takes over. If you remember what, the way he experienced, uh, uh, describes prophetic experience is at a certain point your intellect, your consciousness lose control. You're not in control anymore. You, you become a, a channel. You become a, a channel. Mm-hmm. Actually that reminds me with the, with the Torah that I, I said on that I don't want to get into the whole explanation but we're told that you're supposed to reach Ad Lo Yada on Purim so actually I went to Rav Ginsburg on Purim night and it was like I never heard these teachings before like, and this in short he said that we always say Pesach is read Pesach the mouth speaks what's the connection Haggadah means to tell the story and the mitzvah of the night from the Torah is to tell about coming out of Egypt but also Purim and Pesach begins with a pay, but Purim also begins with a pay. And here we're telling the story of the Megillah, like the Gansa Megillah, the whole story. You tell it twice, in fact. Right? And you have to listen to every word. So he goes into the whole thing about the letter Peh and its connection to Purim and Pesach. So I think at one point he just mentions that the pay as it's described in the Zohar it says Dat Ganiz Bapume Dat is hidden in the mouth which has the whole the whole idea of how correct speech which is very connected to what we're saying here it says that one of the ways is by saying the names of God the, the power of the mouth is is <coughs> tremendous. Except we don't have God's name anywhere in the Megillah. Right, other than other other than Rashi table. Right, right. Like they're hidden. Everything's hidden in the Megillah. Yeah. Everything's hidden. So he didn't say this, but it occurred to me 
a profound idea that he was talking very much about the idea of the pay is dot is this type of knowledge and yet we're told to get to Adelo Yadah and Purim so what I wanted to say is some people think that the way you get to Adelo Yadah is in a sense you obliterate <laughs> obliterate knowledge you get so drunk that you don't know anything but that's not really it at all it actually starts from dot that's the whole thing of Purim you actually start from God and then you transcend it so you get to Adaloyada but you have to go through the dot that becomes the paradox to reach Adaloyada to reach a transcendent state of not knowing is only really through knowledge it's only through knowledge so I'm only mentioning this because it's the same thing with this stream of consciousness. It begins from a very, very controlled, channeled, conscious effort until a certain point where you have to let go. You have to let go and then you get to Adelogida. That's In a sense, that's what a prophetic experience is. Adelogida. You're, you're beyond anything that you could call intellect or your knowledge or wisdom it becomes from a higher source from a higher or source or art art can do it or, yeah or absolutely a great performance looks like it's effortless mm-hmm. but behind it is right. so much yeah. effort art music yeah. dance all these things yeah where you're right it's too it's through thousands of hours of practice and then you transcend it exactly right? then you you can because get beyond it's it it's in your yeah. own right. it's in your own exactly it gets beyond you where is this dot the letter pay no where is it in the Zohar the Zohar if anyone has the Aleph Bay book from Ginsburg, you could look up the source in the letter pay <coughs> Okay, so I said we're going to jump a thousand years to one of the most interesting, fascinating, and enigmatic figures in Kabbalah was Rabbi Avram Abulafia. Rabbi Avram Abulafia, to this day, is highly controversial because in his various books and to his students he claimed to have reached prophecy and he taught what had until him had been totally hidden he began to write about it openly none of his books have been published because of this some of the leading rabbis of the generation came out against him in no uncertain terms especially the Rashba who is a phenomenal uh, commentary on the Gomorrah and his personality also was uh, a bit eccentric but the amazing thing is after he passed away 
and the controversy regarding him uh, toned down almost all the later Kabbalists uh, considered him to have had an authentic unbroken chain of tradition of these practices that he was teaching and therefore he's quoted extensively in books most of the time his name is not mentioned out of respect for the, the many rabbis who were against him but at this point it is considered that despite uh, like I said his eccentric personality what he was teaching was not only authentic but it has given up he was a link in a chain that could have been broken had he not started to write these down he wrote 39 different books at least 39 and they all exist in manuscript form Rabbi Ari Kaplan I believe saw all or most of them and studied them and Rav Ginsburg quotes him all the time Ah, so he he was around 11 no, the, uh, the early 1200s and he he moved from, from place to place I think he he ended up living and dying in Malta because almost everywhere he went he was very controversial and one of the most amazing incidences which is clouded in in myth Mm -hmm. and he he writes about it in one of his tractates that he he went to the Vatican to convert the Pope (laughs) the true story and he went and he was he was it was um, Pope Nicholas III who is known as the one who established the Vatican as the center of Christianity until this day and no one knows exactly what happened he was arrested but within a few days the the Pope mysteriously died and in all of the confusion they let him go and he left but no one knows exactly what happened there. but, but, but um, you're absolutely right it's, it's, yeah in, in the confusion that they didn't really understand who he was and what he was doing there they let him go um but why is he so, so so why am I even bringing him up because these words that we discussed where it says that he look, see, understand probe, engrave and carve much of his writing was he revealed what we already said a very unique type of Jewish meditation where he uses the letters as the means of the meditation but through writing them this was the 
like the, the innovative idea that it, it wasn't his again that later Kabbalists including the Ramak um, Rabbi Chaim Vital the Chida they all uh, quote him and allude that his, his methods were, were very authentic it was just controversial about his own claims and the fact that he started writing down see the Zohar um, if you don't have the keys you don't have the teacher and until the Arizal like it was like hidden it was like it was like an enigma was the but writing like so crude, like calligraphy or was it stone no, writing no what he would what his type of meditation is that he would take words verses and he would he would do what's called siruf otiot he would switch around the letters um. now, again this was not his innovation but it's understood that the Sefer Yitzira was his inspiration because when it says carve them and engrave them and I didn't read all the missions but it talks about combining them and what we said be wise in understanding and understand in wisdom it's all about combinations Mystical Scrabble. <laughs> Mystical Scrabble, which is called Siruf Otio, which is called uh, permutations of the letters. Now, one of the most, and I mentioned it many times, one of the most important sections of the Zohar is called the Tikkunezar, where the entire book is based on the word Bereshit and combining the letters in different orders and then explaining what these different orders mean so here we see this is a thousand years before uh, Rabbi Abu Lafia this was an established thing but again but no one revealed it is like this is what you should do it, just, it doesn't say in Tikkunei Zohar it just takes the word Bereshit and does it it doesn't give a manual Rabbi Abba felt that as part of Mashiach coming that prophecy had to return now he was 300 years before the Arizal and the Arizal said clearly that I am revealing what I'm revealing now because new lights are beginning to shine in the upper worlds and these lights are is the opening of the momentum that will bring us to Mashiach so Abraham Abelafi didn't say that much differently but it was just it could have been just a personality <laughs> because again the Arizal also like all of a sudden someone's revealing in things that no one had heard before mm. but there was something about the personality of Rizal that he just everyone just knew he was a holy person there just wasn't any question was that already confident influenced by Abelopia? 
I would say that the fact in his, his book uh, Meditation and Kabbalah that he writes extensively about Avram Abulafia that he felt it was important that people know more about him so I would say that he yes, I, I would say he was influenced by him and his method I know that Rob Ginsburg is like it's very 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 clear but again the Ramak and Rabbi Chaim Vital and in fact in in Rabbi Chaim Vital's book Shari Kedusha which he wrote after the Arizal had passed away and is considered one of the classics of meditative Kabbalah the fourth section has never been printed because in it is very very specific directions as to meditative Kabbalah and in it he quotes Avram Abulafia extensively it's probably one of the reasons it's never been printed so someone of the level of Rabbi Chaim Vital at that point felt that he could start revealing some of these teachings more openly it's just that when Avram Abu Lafia came on the scene the Zohar had not been printed yet and here all of a sudden someone is just making prophetic claims about himself and teaching these things like probably for good reason the rabbis were like, like we have to stop him we have to stop him but he felt very strongly that this was a needed uh, step in the development and revelation of Kabbalah and he just continued he just continued so, th- so he had many many different versions but most of it was on combinations of letters where you would write them and meditate on them until you would transcend normative thought and that's why I mentioned a stream of consciousness because, and he would do it with gematrias as well he would take a gematria and start making it's almost like Kabbalistic poetry where he would string words together with the same gematria almost in a poetic freestyle but along with that came a deep meditation on the connections between things and it it would lead one's mind out of its usual frame of reference which would make it open to a different experience he would do this similar with names of God and with it he would attach uh, saying them out loud with head motions and breathing exercises now this also is not that he didn't make any of this up but had not been so explicitly uh, written about now just to show you the the last verse of Psalms 150th Psalm 
And since it's the last verse, it's considered very important. Call Hanishama Tehalel Ka Hallelujah. Um, every soul shall praise God. Praise God. So what the Gemara says, says don't read it every soul. Read it every breath. Why? Because breath is neshima. Soul is neshama. So the Gemara says read it with every breath praise God so this is explained in Kabbalah that there was a whole body of, of knowledge about proper breathing in meditation and prayer and song so again every, see, until then everything was cryptic Nothing was spelled out. So, that, so the Gemara just said, don't read it every soul, read it every breath. But obviously, if the word for soul and breath are the same, it's telling us something. So now we see, we're used to hearing this from the East, but this is telling us that we also had this understanding. So Rabbi Avram Abelafia, in a number of his books, reveals a whole system of breathing. There are a lot of stories in Hasidus about rabbis who go for their Shabbos nap and tell the Rebbitzin, if I appear to be dead, don't try to wake me up because I'm, my soul is traveling. And I mean, obviously, a lot of people acquired this knowledge and, and used it. Um, Absolutely. But is it known how many of those people, like, slipped out, went crazy? Um, uh I'll just tell you, for example, Avram Abelafi himself, who was so open with it, warns throughout all of his books that uh, no one should enter into these practices um, unless they're doing it for the right reasons. They are psychologically centered, that they are sound of mind, is he warns that these things um, can be very, very dangerous. And remember, we learned from uh, the Ramchal that in the beginning, all of the B'nai Nevi'im had a mentor. And they would not, they would not practice any of these things alone. They would not practice any of these things alone because they were. They are very powerful. Mm-hmm. They're and very, very powerful. Men who were married, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 40 years old. Yeah, so actually, Avram Abelafi himself mm-hmm. mentions, mm-hmm. very interesting, he was, he was young when he started teaching this. Mm-hmm. But he says himself that a true understanding of all of these experiences really doesn't come to someone until they are older. So this goes along with the idea of being 40 years old. So I don't think he says exactly 40, but he says uh, that as long as that a person is young and you know hormones are still raging 
and don't do it. and don't have a lot of life experience. This this is not necessarily for everyone. He just happened to have been very young, but he himself had had and he wrote about it. He had he had uh, problems with some of these experiences because of his personality. How long did he live? And not women, specifically not women. Did he say it, specifically? No, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't say specifically. It's true that through the ages it was considered, but we know that we, we have at least seven uh, female prophetesses. We're told by all the commentators that Sarah was on a higher level of prophecy than Avram. So obviously, if the sages wanted to hide this, they wouldn't have said that. So obviously, they wanted us to know that women were able to reach these levels also. And uh, two of the uh, what are called archetypal songs of creation are by women, Hannah and Devorah. They're both considered prophetesses. So there was no attempt to shut women out of this this whole realm. There was, there was really uh, no attempt. Okay, so now I'm going to <coughs> jump ahead to the Arizal, who is mentioned many, many, many times. And the truth is he also made use and, and revealed many of these uh, methods as well. What he is most known is what are called Yehudim and Kabanot. What's interesting, if you remember I mentioned this, that of the eight gates of the Arizal, one which we spent a long time was the, the gate of reincarnations, but the other one is called the gate of Ruach HaKodesh, of divine inspiration. And what's interesting about it is there's a very short few explanations and almost the entire gate is made up of what are called Yehudim. Yehudim mean unifications. Where different names of God are unified in different ways in order to reach a high level of consciousness. Now these are considered very, very advanced methods. That's why the Arizal made absolutely no attempt to teach to the masses. He had maybe 20 students and he understood that of the 20 students only Rabbi Chaim Vital really understood what he was talking about. So these Yehudim are, are very extremely complicated and there's really been no attempt to popularize them because they're, they're really not they weren't revealed for that purpose they were revealed for people who reach an incredibly high level and then maybe you've seen different sidurim where like you could have a verse and then an entire page where like looks like charts and diagrams and mantras Mm-hmm. of different names of God the different worlds the different levels of soul and like you mentioned a- different names of angels mm-hmm. just on one verse 
and uh, to this day there are people who daven like this but it takes them three or four hours to daven chakras with, the, with these methods and people do it people still, still do it or people take a few of them and, and daven with a few of them but the also was, was saying that these teachings are part of a revelation that are leading towards Mashiach because as we've mentioned we're told that when Mashiach comes prophecy will return prophecy will return but it's it's meant more as mass prophecy in other words there will be such a change of consciousness not just of individuals who are called prophets but of the Jewish people ultimately mankind that the type of experiences that we're talking about that may seem very distant or hard to access will become commonplace May I ask a personal question? Because this is all very um, theoretical for me. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you if you have experienced any of what, any of these practices that we've been talking about. Have you experienced them yourself? I'd say yes, but I think most people have also in different ways. Okay, so I can be very honest. Most of these things are beyond my grasp and uh, I don't overly dabble (laughs) but uh, through meditation and prayer and breathing and studying the words and letters remember I I helped Rubkins write a book on letters so I was involved for for uh, a year and a half totally with the letters so I, I have to say I do see the world as a combination of letters because I I, I would say anyone who reads the Aleph Bay book will come to that level it's called, well here it's called the, the Hebrew letters by Rob Ginsburg and if you if you study this book and go over it and over it, it's accessible. Uh-huh. It's accessible to everyone. So on that level, yeah, these these things have filtered into my life. I try to take advantage of that, uh, but I'm I, I don't I don't go off the deep end with them. But I have integrated them, for sure. I have integrated them. And as we said from the beginning, the purpose of this class is not that we should uh, have any expectations of becoming prophets, but uh, I'll give you an example for the, uh, one of the books that I quote in the reincarnation book, Gilgulay Nishamot. So when the son of the Ishbitzer Rebbe reprinted it, so in the introduction he said in our time when the Zohar has been revealed the writings of the Arizal have been revealed 
the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov have been revealed there's no reason mm. to keep these teachings hidden anymore so I would say the same thing for this now maybe a hundred years ago we would not have a class like this a class like this probably might not have taken place a hundred years ago but now when you can read Aryeh Kaplan you can read all of the classics of Kabbalah translated into English um, when you have the Sefer you see uh, right here in English with incredible commentary and uh, you know we have Chabad teaching Tanya to anyone who will listen right <laughs> um, so th- there's no reason to hide these things anymore yeah. but the question is well, what, what we do with it yeah. what we do with it my uh, hope is why do I teach this I teach this to, to, to college students also they're not religious mm. why, why do I do that because I believe very very strongly that by just hearing these ideas and these concepts will ignite a spark of interest in not, not these practices per se but in, in Yiddishkeit in Torah and Judaism I myself became a Baal because of that because I, I, I started reading and hearing concepts that I had no idea existed in Judaism and that's what brought me to in that's what brought me in well, no, that, no, that actually is my, my, my given name my given name but um, I, I have a, a, a very strong affinity for the Sefer Yitzhira <laughs> and um, and when I came to Israel I had a very strong affinity to Lech Lecha so, to, that was my calling that I had to leave everything behind and come to Israel and I was very aware that it was a, a connection of my name to Avram Avinu so it's good that we come back to discussing so we, we keep centered on what, what we're doing here that the idea here is like I said not that like, we'll all like go off the deep end but just the opposite that understanding that uh, these practices can lead us to a higher consciousness and knowing that these practices are totally interwoven with normative Judaism and as I've mentioned many times that is the problem with the Kabbalah center is that they're giving over Kabbalah as if it doesn't have to be connected to normative Jewish practice my, my, my teaching is exactly the opposite that if this sounds good if you, if, it really, if, if you really want it to work for you it has to be connected to Shabbos it has to be connected to Purim and Pesach and Tefillah and everything else that goes to Judaism these concepts really cannot really be practiced even without it being connected to the, to the grounding of where it's all coming from
Okay, so we know that music and meditation and in, in the music book, so I bring a number of stories of how music was used to reach prophetic experience. And that power is not diminished over the years at all.